0: You're listening to The Quintz Podcast.
1: In a dramatic escalation in the ongoing Ukraine crisis, Russian President Vladimir Putin on 21st February recognized the independence of two separatist regions in eastern Ukraine and ordered Russian forces in those territories for quote-unquote Peacekeeping purposes. In a televised address, Putin recognized the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic, which are globally considered as part of Ukraine's sovereign territory, and added that, quote unquote, Ukraine has never had its own authentic statehood. Putin's address also carried a warning for Ukraine, threatening a war if the country's forces do not stand down. He said that, quote unquote, all the responsibility for the possible continuation of bloodshed will be completely and entirely on the conscience of the regime ruling Ukraine's territory. For weeks now, Putin has kept the world on its toes with some 150,000 Russian troops amassed at Ukraine's border, but has denied any plans to move into Ukraine. However, the formal recognition of Donetsk and Luhansk has triggered fears in the West of an imminent Russian invasion. The formal recognition also prompted a chorus of condemnations from the West with the US announcing sanctions for those regions, Germany halting the approval process of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Russia and the United Nations Security Council, condemning Russia's move, calling it a quote-unquote violation of territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine and that it is inconsistent with the principles of the UN Charter. Criticism on Russia also came from India, who at the UNSC meeting said that tensions along the border between Ukraine and Russia was a matter of deep concern and that it had the potential to undermine peace and security in the region. However, India stopped short of condemning Putin's statement or its actions without naming Russia at all. So in today's episode, we'll dive deep into the relevance of Donetsk and Luhansk and why Russia deems them independent. To understand this, I spoke to former Indian Ambassador to Russia, Ambassador D. P. Venkatesh Verma, who recently returned from Russia. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Emmat. Ambassador Verma, thank you so much for coming on the Big Story podcast and making time for us.
0: Good to be with you and uh, thank you for inviting me.
1: Okay. Well, first, I, of course, want to talk to you about what's happening in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions, uh, which is the big story of the day as well. Like, from my understanding, these are regions in eastern Ukraine and are home to about 2.3 million and 1.5 million people, respectively. So, Can you help us understand what is the region's history and why they are being labeled as People's Republic in the first place?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Ukraine is a large country. Uh, Ukraine is, uh, except for Russia, Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. Mm. And uh, it it was put together uh, in 1919 and again, 1921. Um, And uh, further territory was added in 1945 and 1956. So, uh, Western Ukraine uh, acquired a lot of territory uh, because uh, Germany, which had occupied Poland in the Second World War, was defeated in the Second World War. And therefore, some of the Polish territories uh, were added on to Western Ukraine. Mm. In Eastern Ukraine, uh, this was formed As a result of the 1921-22 Ukrainian uh, Soviet Socialist Republic was formed. It Mm -hmm. formed part of the constituent Republic of of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was created in 1922. And uh, the constituent elements of the Soviet Union were the Russian Federation, uh, the uh, Ukraine, Belarus, and in those days, it was called the uh, Transcaucasian Republic. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, presently Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, and others.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they have, you had the East uh, and, and the Turkistan Central Asian republics joined later. Now, <clears throat> uh, Ukraine uh, was always a multi-regional uh, uh, country. Uh, a state within the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And the Eastern Ukraine was uh, largely dominated by uh, Russian-speaking people. Mm -hmm. It was uh, also uh, heavily industrialized. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, And the purpose of creating uh, industrialization in Eastern Ukraine was to give a sense of identity and stakeholdership for the Ukrainian people in the larger Soviet Union.
1: Mm.
0: Now, in the context of the events that took place last evening, uh, there are two uh, so-called People's Republics, uh, uh, Lugansk and uh, Donetsk, Mm -hmm. which in a sense belonged to uh, Ukraine. But after the uh, changeover in government in 2014, Which uh, Russia believes was the result of coup uh, d'état. Mm. Uh, you remember that there was a lot of uh, demonstrations in the main square in Kiev, yep. which was called the Maizan demonstrations. And the then president was uh, had to flee because uh, there was a lot of violence on the on the streets, uh, both from the security forces, from the protesters, and some unknown. Um, uh, people who participated in those uh, shootings, mm-hmm. uh, but the net result net result was that the the, the government uh, uh, fell, and the new government uh, came into power in Kiev, which had a very strong anti Russia uh, orientation, including against the uh, eastern regions of Ukraine, mm-hmm. where uh, Russia uh, Russian was the majority language. Yeah. Now. These two republics declared their independence in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, the proclamation of independence was done in 2014, but no one no one, in a sense recognized it. In 2015, the second Minsk agreement was signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was essentially uh, brokered by uh, France and Germany. And also, Russia was a partner, but not a signatory to the Minsk agreement. Mm-hmm. And the essential idea of the Minsk Agreement was that <coughs> uh, Kyiv, the central government in Kiev, would discuss with the two uh, the leaderships of these two republics, uh, you know, the so-called people's republics, because they wanted to distinguish themselves from the republics that were there, uh, you know, the regions that were there uh, prior to the 2014 Declaration of uh, Proclamation of Independence. The two key principles of the Minsk Agreement were the following, one is that the central parliament in Kyiv would pass legislation to create autonomy for the Eastern regions. There would be a ceasefire, heavy equipment would be withdrawn. And after the autonomy was given, Uh, elections would be held and as soon as elections would be held and a government would be formed in the two uh, eastern uh, regions Mm -hmm. and thereafter Ukraine would take over the control of the border with Russia. Okay. So internal autonomy within the context of protection of the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. Okay. Now Russia supported the Minsk agreement but was very disappointed because the uh, Kiev uh, authorities, including the Ukrainian parliament and the Ukrainian government, were not keen to fully implement the Minsk Mm agreement. Now, of course, Ukraine had its own complaints and some of the complaints were valid because they said that uh, a full ceasefire had not returned to the uh, Donbass region, the larger region, and um, they were not in a position to proceed on autonomy. Mm-hmm. The two regions said that uh, they were uh, almost against uh, the two regions of eastern Ukraine and they were short of uh, constitutionally mandated autonomy, they were not willing to give up their arms. Yep. So the skirmishes continued for a very long time. Uh, there was no implementation of the, of the Minsk agreement. The Normandy format, but also brought into place to facilitate <laughs> a dialogue, to mm-hmm. implementation, to fire and to facilitate a dialogue. It didn't work. The extreme nationalists in Ukraine also were not in favor of granting autonomy to the east, to eastern, um, uh, to the two eastern regions of Ukraine, uh, thinking that they would uh, they would secede if you gave them the human autonomy. Mm. So the internal divisions in Ukraine were very deep. Yeah. And uh, in this last uh, seven years, these internal divisions were not bridged and they only became deeper.
1: There's also now talks of reviving the Minsk Peace Agreement of 2015 as well. Is it possible that reviving it now will stop Russia from invading Ukraine?
0: No, things have moved ahead because uh, Russia last night... Uh, uh, formally recognized the uh, independence uh, of the two breakaway uh, republics of ukraine mm-hmm. and by recognizing the independence they have in a sense accepted that the territorial integrity of ukraine as internationally recognized would no longer apply so in mm-hmm. a sense in a sense uh, the minsk agreement would be overtaken by uh, by events however since Russia is not a party to the Minsk Agreement, mm-hmm. if in theory, if in theory, the government in Kiev were to hold talks with the two uh, republics, mm-hmm. that would be consistent with the Minsk Agreement. But it is extremely unlikely in this very charged political situation there mm-hmm. would be willingness on part of um, the central government in Kiev to talk to leaders who have just declared their independence. It is, uh, it is. I don't think going to happen. So therefore, uh, in theory, uh, the Minsk agreement exists, but in reality, I think it is on its last legs.
1: Mm. Now, of course, Russia's recent steps have invited international condemnation as well, especially from the US, which has now issued sanctions for those separatist regions as well. There was also this uh, emergency UNSC meeting, the United Nations Security Council meeting on 21st February just yesterday. Where Russia's actions were like uh, labeled as a violation of the UN Charter and the sanctity of national borders. I want to know, sir, that you of course have had close contact with the Kremlin and with uh, President Putin as well. And I want you to know, like, to what extent will this kind of international condemnation really affect Putin and his intentions? And if not, what will it take?
0: Yeah, there was a there were a range of views. Uh, mm-hmm. The countries from uh, Europe and the United States were very strong in their condemnation of what happened uh, yesterday.
1: Mm. But
0: uh, the statements from other countries, especially from Asia, uh, were were more nuanced. Uh, There was no condemnation uh, from many of the countries that spoke uh, from the Asian region. Uh, India made a very balanced uh, statement. Mm. I think we stressed the need for dialogue and uh, moving forward uh, on uh, creating conditions to, for de-escalation.
1: Yeah,
0: I think China also China also made a similar statement. I don't think there was any uh, any any condemnation from their side as well. Mm-hmm. The UAE statement was also quite uh, 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 quite moderate. Mm-hmm. You see, <clears throat> the fact that uh, Russia has had a problem with the emerging security situation in ukraine is not a new act, a new problem yeah it has been it has been there for almost uh, 15 20 years and uh, russia was able to manage with various governments in um, uh, in kyiv uh, mm. a, a, a process of business like relations they were not very friendly but at least they were uh, very business like in the sense there was normal trade and transit, uh, transport links were there. Uh, I think the situation got aggravated after 2008 when Ukraine was given the promise of NATO membership. It was not given NATO membership, but it was given the promise of NATO membership. Mm -hmm. I think that encouraged that that section of the Ukrainian uh, leadership that was very interested in joining EU and NATO to accelerate their uh, uh, their uh, uh, antipathy to, to Russia, because if you think you have an alternative, then you tend not to work on uh, compromises. So I think it created a false illusion for uh, Ukraine that uh, NATO would come to its uh, rescue. NATO membership for Ukraine was not popular uh, in Europe as well. France and Germany mm-hmm. were against that proposition. It is the United States which, uh, which put it on the table in the Bucharest uh, summit of NATO. And uh, that has created uh, a very deep problem. Now, in theory, of course, Ukraine is a sovereign country. it is uh, It has the right to choose its security relationships, but all sovereign countries also choose security relationships in a manner that do not aggravate their own security situation. So by asserting the right, which is, uh, a, which is in theory, right, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Ukraine has, um, you should also judge your policies by the end result that they have created. Now, the end result they have created is that uh, NATO has not come to Ukraine's defense, because it's not a member of NATO. And two regions of Ukraine have uh, have gone away and declared independence. And relationship with Russia is now at, uh, at rock bottom. Yeah. now russia and ukraine uh, have existed together in the soviet union prior to that in the as part of the tsarist uh, empire so their people to people contacts go back many many centuries mm-hmm. so when you have uh, such deep cultural uh, political and economic links it's very mm-hmm. difficult to create a condition where you can divide the the country uh, uh, you can divide the peoples now, in my own view is that uh, uh, a certain amount of uh, uh, friendship was possible, provided Ukraine remained neutral, uh, it didn't join uh, NATO, but it had a very strong uh, links, economic links with the European Union and strong economic links with Russia. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been uh, uh, a fairly good compromise that Every country could have lived with uh, the strong orientation towards west by Ukraine, and the fact that they would not be seen as threatening to Russia. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is merely President Putin's agenda. Uh, president Putin has been talking of this for a very long time. Yeah, no Russian, pre- no Russian president can accept the appearance of NATO troops uh, so close to their borders, which is Ukraine, which is, you know, uh, it is like a foreign country coming and putting uh, troops right uh, next door, which, uh, you know, which uh, no major country will accept. So I think um, uh, mistakes were done on, on all sides. Uh, you know, in retrospect, in hindsight, we can say that uh, one country or a set of countries could have done things differently.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: uh, the end result is that we have in the central center of Europe, uh, 30 years after the end of the Cold War, the return of high military tensions and confrontation that uh, my sense is that show no sign of uh, abating uh, anytime soon so it will mm-hmm. have huge huge consequences uh, for the region and huge consequences for the for global stability as well
1: So you also touched upon uh, on India's statement at the UNSC as well, where uh, India stated that the escalation of tensions along the border of Ukraine with the Russian Federation is a matter of deep concern. And of course, the safety of India's citizens present in Ukraine is is the top priority as as of now. But I wanted to know uh, from your also decades of experience in this, uh, will this neutrality stance play in India's favor in the long term? Given India's close ties with both Russia and the u s and that President Putin may not climb down from his demands easily as well this time around
0: You see, we have no hand in the current crisis that has been created by both sides in central Europe. However, the effect of these uh, events will affect, uh, will have an impact on our interests as well. There will be As a result of sanctions that are imposed on Russia, which are expected, uh, there will be more difficulties uh, on dealing with Russia. But Russia is a strategic partner for us. Uh, We have very strong ties in defense, uh, in nuclear space, Mm -hmm. uh, energy. Uh, So these ties will continue. Uh, India should, and I think India will be in a position to insulate itself from the blowback that is expected from this uh, regional and international crisis. Of course, it cannot be 100% insulation, but we should try to reduce the, ne- the negative effect. Mm-hmm. Now, both Russia and the United States cannot judge their relations with India on the basis of what India says or not does not say. Uh, the primary factor for us is to protection of India's interests. Uh, we have not done anything to exacerbate ag- the situation. Mm-hmm. There was a Minsk agreement that was signed, and we supported the Minsk agreement. Now, if the Ukrainian government is reluctant to accept the Minsk agreement, uh, you know how is it that India is to blame? I mean, uh, um, if uh, uh, the United States of America promised uh, Ukraine NATO membership and was not able to provide the security of uh, NATO countries to Ukraine in the current crisis, you know these are, these are all self-created problems uh, for other countries. Mm-hmm. You know, however, we however we ask to explain. So this notion that somehow India should stand up and be asked to explain itself, I think, is a completely wrong notion. Mm-hmm. We are we have a balanced and a moderate policy, and mm-hmm. we should speak about our own interests. Uh, a point is also sometimes made that india is not uh, uh, standing up for uh, uh, international rules and international law but mm-hmm. there were a number of agreements that both sides signed and if they are not able to implement them then you know how is it our, uh, yeah. our fault how, you know how is it that india is asked to explain uh, mm-hmm. rules based international order means that those who accept the rules should also implement that uh, those rules Mm-hmm. So if they don't, then, of course, the consequences are, uh, are, not, uh, are not positive.
1: Yeah. Well, sir, thank you for all your, uh, all your time and all, all your input as well. That was the end of my questions. But it was a genuine pleasure talking to you, of course, uh, since you've just returned back from, from uh, Russia as well. So uh, you're the best person to speak to when it comes to what India should do as well and uh, the international perspective. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and making time for us.
0: Yeah, thank you very a great pleasure to be with
1: you. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Ge7 and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequinn.com.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Log on to the Quints website and check out our other podcasts.